Hi, welcome to Season 2 of the Silverline Podcast, an audio version of our video streams that we hold weekly. They're edited a little bit to make them a little more concise. My name is Roland Mann. I'm the head honcho at Silverline, and we have a great time making fun comics that we think that you'll enjoy. So thank you for listening, and maybe go check out some of our comics if you haven't already. This episode is titled, Creators Collaborate. It originally aired March 2nd, 2022. And here we go, creating beyond calculation, beyond politics, beyond the big two. Welcome, Silver Liners, to the wonderful world of Wednesday Wham. I'm Dean Zachary, your host, and we've got a bit of a skeleton crew tonight, but I'll go ahead and uh, introduce everyone. I think uh, Barbara, the Empress of the Inks, will be in a little bit later tonight, Uh, but we've got uh, Rob Davis, the Paragon of Pencils. We've got the superior skeptic himself, Aaron Humphreys. We've got one of the Wizards of Wordplay, Rory Boyle, and uh, myself, and possibly, possibly the Word Bomber will bomb in and make an appearance, uh, John Medic III. So uh, before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, Daytona Beach Comic Convention, as always. And without uh, further ado, once more unto the breach, dear friends, let's uh, get into what we're going to talk about tonight, creators collaborate. Before the show, we we were throwing out some ideas about what we're going to discuss. In essence, we're going to break down the pros and cons of the old school approach, which was a little bit more of an assembly line. Some might call it the bullpen approach of uh, Marvel and DC, where each person creating the comic had a specific responsibility and then passed the torch on to the next person in line And uh, by the end, you had uh, the mechanical production of a comic book, which then went to printer. Nowadays, uh, with technology, it is conceivable and often done that one person can do it all and wear all the hats. But uh, more often, we have groups of people who wear multiple hats that produce a comic. So um, and then at the at the end of the show, just setting the table here, our pop culture is going to be fun as we're going to discuss the animated Lord of the Rings from 1978 and the Lord of the Rings trilogy from 2001 to 2003 and how they are connected, how they're different, who likes what and why, and everyone can throw, you know, tomatoes at whichever one they don't like. So uh, um, <laughs> I know, right? I wish Scott was here. He'd, he'd have a great time with this one. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's get started. Oh, look, look, just as we're about oh, to get started. She's Yay. here. Yay, Barb. Thank you for up. Hey. I'm glad you made it. Empress yes. of the Inks arrives. Yeah. Uh, we're very happy to have Barb. I was I was just setting the table, Barb, and telling everybody that we're kind of going to be discussing uh, the old school approach to creating comics, which was the assembly line approach, and compare and contrast that with the uh, modern approach and the technology allowing uh, a person to wear either all the hats or multiple hats and share the responsibilities with, with several other people. And you and Rob, uh, being the, the most experienced people here as far as consistent ongoing production over the past two-plus decades, in some de- in some cases three decades. Um, three decades, yeah. Three decades, yeah. Three That's fantastic. Decades. What a history. Let's let's start with, uh, with uh, Barbara. Can you tell us when you started um, – was it still pretty much the old bullpen idea of the assembly line approach? And how did it work 
when you first broke in, how did people communicate with each other? How did they transfer material? <laughs> how did they approve each stage? How did that all work? Get us started here. The three F's, phone, fax, yeah. and FedEx. Yeah, that's good. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Yeah, it was very much an assembly line process. Uh, Everybody had their role to fill. And uh, because I was very fast and very dependable, I was usually the one that I was catching up the writer or the penciler if they were behind um, so that it could go on to the letterer, the colorist, uh, uh, then to the editor the publisher it, it's very and, and believe it or not there's even um somebody to look over for continuity and legal aspects they have to look over the, the, the scripts before they go out so um it's more there's more going on behind the scene than what most people would think about especially especially if you are working with a licensed product once the script is written it's got to go to legal yeah. And it's mm-hmm. it's got to be fine-tuned and legal and then go back to the writer and be tweaked and then go to the editor. The editor goes through, proves it, then it goes to the penciler. And from the pencil, the penciler puts it in a, in a FedEx box and ships it to the inker. And the inker inks it. It goes back into a FedEx box, goes to the editor, who then partials it out to letterers and colorists and what have you. <clears throat> so, yeah, it was... It's, I was a cog in the machine. So being that cog, you, you were, you were, oh yes, I remember those days. You, (laughs) you were uh, the inker. So in the traditional sense of the assembly line, you were third person, correct? correct? Okay. So, cause you had writer, penciler, inker, colorist and letterer, or did it go letter and colorist in your experience? Uh, Sometimes. It, it depended. Sometimes it would it arrive to me already lettered. Um, okay. Maybe 40% of the time it would come to me already lettered, but okay. Um, okay. I don't what? actually know where it went next, whether it was parceled out to the letter. And, but you got to remember all you young um, whippersnappers uh, <laughs> that the lettering back then was done by hand. Yes on the page it wasn't done um in in the computer like it is now yeah they were very fast with chipping that stone when they were the, you know the hammer yes yes yeah. yeah. hammering and chiseling it it's like the like commandments yeah there was <laughs> there there was a fantastic uh skill though that, that i always admired barb i always admired the letter because to keep that consistency across yeah. you know you had to have quite hand-eye coordination had to be there i mean because one of my best friends is just the master that's janice jane Mm -hmm. she is just Mm -hmm. amazing that's one of those what's what what you what you would have done rory is it be a letter yeah Yeah, i I probably would have gone to my uncle to teach me uh he had he's since passed away but after world war ii he was the lead calligrapher at american greetings so you've all oh, seen his hand wow cool wow yeah. fantastic yeah, yeah well yeah that to me that's a, a another one of the uh what i call a hand skilled lost art forms now is is uh, comic lettering and that uh underappreciated you know, underappreciated yeah, yeah. those I'm those people my aims lettering guide i don't know, if you know <laughs> i still, still have a lettering somewhere guide. god i haven't I still, used it yeah here. i've got one i, I just mean don't know bad lettering could 
could completely screw up the flow of a page. Oh, yeah. You oh, have yeah. to oh, yeah. have oh, yeah. good lettering. They are so underappreciated. You know, they are. people they think, are. oh, they're just slapping, um, you know, word balloons down. No, 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 no. It's not like that at all because it's a real skill to know where to put those word balloons to make it the whole page flow. And if if you're not given a lot to work with, you've got to get real creative. <laughs> for instance, if the script calls for, you know, uh, a whole bunch of, of wording or script on one page and it's every panels chock-a-block full of art what are you going to cover up yeah 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 there's that there's that there's that but there's also the subtle art of where to break the line in the dialogue or the narration where do you break that line and you know most of us now letter our material with you know the computer even we have to now choose you know okay how are we going to shape the lettering within this box should it be two dialogue boxes should i break it up if i break it up is that going to ruin the visual and so there's there's a skill set to the lettering like you say very very underappreciated but i want to explore something a little deeper here with you barb what would you say was the most critical and important communication connection with the assembly line who did you have to talk to the most and why well, unless the penciler was a good friend that I knew and they'd either brought me on board or I'd worked with them before and had their phone number, you would always have to go to the editor to be a go-between. Uh, yeah. And you know, I had a few pencilers that were, I was such good friends with. I'd, I'd call up and go, where's my pages? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just not feeling the art today. That's, that's <laughs> not an excuse. Nope, Dude, that's not. Just, yeah. yeah. Just get well, on the ball. So um, it was mainly you would communicate with an editor more so unless the penciler was a personal friend. Is right. That, is that fair? Okay. okay. Yeah. And I mean, that kept things professional too, because uh, there is always going to be egos involved yeah. in, in oh, yeah. artwork. So if you go have a go between with the editor um, who's, who, who can smooth things over when uh, like I get angry when I'm supposed to dude, I'm supposed to be turning this in in a week from now and I haven't even gotten page one. You know? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Right, so deadline pressure is always on, on you. There's also, um, if you have a penciler that has unclear pencils, yeah. then you have, you have to make a lot of decisions. I know, Barb, that I always felt like when you and I were collaborating, you could call me, contact me anytime and go, what did you mean here? What did you mean there? And I have. But I, yeah. And what other is this little line here? What is that? Yeah, what is that? And so, but we had that connection where I would imagine there were times, especially when we were all much younger, where egos got involved and you just couldn't figure out what they wanted. So you'd have to just solve it for them. And maybe they would not particularly agree with how you solved it. Did that ever happen? If it did, they never made me aware of it. Okay, good. You know, good. Uh, it's very possible that, like, God, she sucks. You know, but they were, <laughs> but they were too polite to say that. So. Good, uh, good. I, I can tell you, I, I've, I've worn all three of those hats. I've worn the hat of penciler, I've worn the hat of uh, inker, mm -hmm. and I've worn the hat of letterer. I started out in the industry as a letterer, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was I was mediocre at it. I, that, now that we have computer lettering, oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's great, isn't it? Because by the end of the first of a page, my hand would just be uh, cramped up. But mm-hmm. anyway, I I actually had an artist who, through the editor, told me he hated my inks. Oh, and was specific about the things that he hated hated oh uh, yes it was it was it was horrendous look i was just trying to give you specific details about how much (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean you know it's not just good enough to say you stuck in general you got to be specific (laughs) well fortunately i was i was lettering and inking out the book so you know but uh, yeah so I, i i get i got to choose what was being covered up Right. And I usually tried to go, try to leave figures definitely. And anything important in the background, you leave that in. Uh, well, but, uh, yeah. If you were, so let me ask you this, Rob. Sure. If you were, have you ever lettered your own artwork? Oh, yeah. I, I, that's all. Have I you, do all of my own lettering now. Have you ever been tempted to cover up with lettering some piece of the art that you didn't like? Oh, that turned out bad. So I kind of just cover that up with the letter. Yes, I've done that too. So, like, it is. Yeah, Uh, but but usually, what I what I do, what I'll usually do at that point is go. I can't if I can't cover it up right away. I got I got to redraw it. Or, you know, like Reed Richards <laughs> on the cover of Fantastic Four having two right hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I would I would I would try to fix it. But uh, yeah, the, you're always tempted if you're your yeah. own letterer to, to cover up stuff that, you know, eh, that's kind of but but uh, of course, with the silver line, I've been. I've, uh, someone else has lettered it. I offered to letter it. I was going to letter. I was going to pencil le- letter and ink it all. But uh, 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 Roland wanted me to, to send it off after I inked. So, but uh, well, and you can and I've seen the process go several different ways. But the one well, that I worked with yeah. the most was pencil went to the went to the letterer and then the inker. Sometimes, because yeah. because then the inker only worked with those areas that hadn't been covered by a word balloon. Right. Yeah. Now, there were there were some where they came and pasted them in later, but usually that was the process. It went to the to the letterer, and then it went to the inker. So, Depend on uh, how much against the deadline they were. Right. Exactly. If and it were they were really yeah. up against the deadline, they they send it to the. Sometimes inks. what they would do is is they would take the the uh, the art the penciled artwork. They they'd uh, photocopy it and send it to the letterer. Yes, and he would do it on a on a sheet that would be pasted pasted over later while the inker was inking it. Now right. you got to count on the inker going well, exactly what's on the page when you do that because uh, some inkers will change stuff. And I used to, and that was part of what I did when I was working on that one guy. I would he, his figures were outrageously stretched, just uh, ridiculously. And inconsistent from panel to panel, and I tried mm. to fix some of that, and he hated it. He wanted it exactly as he penciled it. So I, you know, I I eventually uh, kind of bowed out of doing that and went off and did something else. That they eventually gave me uh, my own book to pencil, 
So I did that. I penciled it. And I'm trying to remember. I don't think I lettered it, but I, but in any case, I I started penciling at that point. And didn't have to worry about that anymore. So the only what? and I've I've inked a couple of times since then, but that mm -hmm. that initial taste in my mouth makes it very difficult to ink somebody else's work now. Because yeah. I, I'm always tempted to well, change you know, something. I ink some of uh, Dean's stuff. It took me forever to fix his stuff. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, man. He just, <laughs> man, he, man, poor Aaron just like slopped that ink all over my stuff. And I was like, I had to fix so everything. We'll have to, we'll have to nickname you uh, Vince Coletta, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, challenge, the challenge with Dean's pencils is they're, they're, uh, a little sketchy like he likes to do shading so you have to figure out all right how am i going to transform this shading do I, make, do I make yeah yeah, yeah. how am i going to transfer yeah. the shading into cross hatching or whatever and yeah. fortunately I, I finally I, I finally figured out i have to ink myself guys that's really <laughs> I, so, yeah <laughs> yeah because that's, it's it's yeah. literally like no wonder when I draw... don't call me back after he's eating yeah. his own stuff. <laughs> I just realized, I mean, it's it's easier in the end because yeah. I found myself having to draw for the inks when I would do, yeah. you know, work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if you're drawing for the inks, just ink your own, dude. So you'll be faster in, in essence. <laughs> the, funny, the funny thing about Roland's attitude now about my inks, and I've, I've got I've to prove him wrong. So you guys got to like, cheer me on to prove wrong is oh man you're really going to be slow now if you're inking your own stuff I'm like no no it'll be the same speed because i want to yeah. draw it as finished and then i'll finish it with the ink well, so the one thing that's so that's the weird idea. is i i still see people do like pencils and computers and inks and i'm, I'm always like you can kind of technically skip the pencil page as long as you put like a very rough in there just start drawing it in black but i think yeah, you pull pencil pages and, and the computer i'm like why Especially if you're just, doing it digitally, because you can erase yeah. the lines you don't like. Yeah, so just, yes. just do a yes. rough layout of what you want, and just start drawing in black ink. You skip yeah. the pencil. That's that's why I never... And, and people are like, "Why well, this is my pencil in digital? And I'm like, dude, are you high? What are you talking about? <laughs> Pencils in digital? <laughs> here it is. Here it is. Pencils in digital. You, you nailed the reason. Yeah. The reason is, the reason I will most of the time do original pencils on board is so I can sell the original art. That's, that's, that's it. My whole company um, is done, is done uh, traditional, yeah. so I can sell all the pages if they... Right. All right. 300 pages, all for sale. So, <laughs> all you know. for sale. Contact Aaron, everybody. And he's got a he's got a sale running. Two yeah. bucks a page, man. Two bucks. It's a real... It's a deal. It's a deal right now. It's funny because you finish this book and I'm looking over at a stack of paper that's about this thick and that's not uh -huh. the only stack. I have... That's not all the pages. I have other pages in the garage somewhere. I, would, I don't know. I, I don't know where all the pages of this book are at. They're kind of... Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'll put it like, together someday. <laughs> someday. They're, they're kicked under the bed somewhere. There's something like know. that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Bizarre. I I actually had to get a filing system. I, literally, it's, it's informal, but I have stacked portfolios of all my most recent stuff yeah. in the stand... That holds the printer up, right? So it's like one of those little portable <laughs> roller stands. Yeah. And so underneath uh -huh. it is just stacked up stuff. So I had to because I was like here and I I wasn't very organized. And it was just stuff was laying, laying everywhere. everywhere. 
you know. Yeah, um, then you spill so, food on it to get some. Oh, uh, it gets bad, or coffee, or whatever. So, but that that being said, being organized is a great piece of advice for aspiring creators. Oh, and yeah. those who are Just getting the business. Be very organized. Keep your, your older pages, because a lot of times, and this is a little secret to the industry here, if you're a penciler, um, you can take a background that you drew on page three, and if you're in the second issue on page 15, mm-hmm. you can throw that background on the light box and just trace it because okay. nobody's going to remember it. it. Or scan it in in Photoshop yeah. and lay it in. Yes, and, and yeah, lay it and in. Manipulate. Right. And manipulate. Right. So, which is what I do. Right, right. Well, again, you know, me thinking of selling the original page, I'd want it on that page. But you don't have to redraw it from scratch is my point. You can you can yes. find ways to... To oh, save yeah. time. Uh, but I want to get back to Rob briefly here and ask you, here, here's okay. the bottom line question for you on this collaborative process. What was the weakest link between assembly line creators and what would you offer as the solution to that weakest link? For those who are just getting started, they're part of a collaborative process. What would you tell them? Who is the weakest link connection and how to fix it? The penciler. Okay. Okay. The penciler is the weakest link. He gets okay. jammed first, up. He jams everybody else. Up. He's the first link. He's the okay. first link. Uh, writers it can sometimes be the weakest link, but usually, uh, that, that, that what really fouls up the timeline in getting a book out is the penciler getting behind. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so what if you want to get into the industry? one of the best positions to be in is actually an inker if you're if you're good and you're fast and you're steady you can you're you're going to get work am i am i wrong barb no no you're not wrong that's why you got really busy uh, because you were you were good you were fast and you were reliable yeah i I, in the 12 years that i worked uh full-time as a comic book artist I never missed the deadline once. Sometimes I had to stay up all night and to work yeah. a couple of days straight, but I never missed the deadline. And people knew that, you know. And that's it. So if you want to break into the industry, if you want to get steady work, <clears throat> becoming an inker is the way to do it. Okay, that's that's oh. good advice. I'm going to pause it's, for it's, a minute and welcome Haley in. Haley, hey, good Haley, to see you. Thanks for joining us. We're just yeah. seeing her icon, but what the hell? I know my camera. Yeah, <laughs> your camera. We're uh, we'll figure it out. We're, I still have it. What do you mean her icon? I thought that's how she really looked. That's, yeah, I'm really a cartoon. <laughs> no, I was I was I was gonna say Haley. Uh, we're gonna definitely get your input on something tonight because we're talking about the production and the collaborative process of getting a comic book made, but also the comparison of the old style assembly line versus the new situation of somebody like you who can mm-hmm. do everything with technology, right? You can technology write it. Technology is can, a big, yeah. Yeah, you can ink it, you can finish the whole piece. So you're one of those rare talents where you can actually do it all. And uh, so I, w- I want to definitely get your take and your advice to the up and coming folks who are, who are breaking in now. But um, I just asked Rob, I said, What's the weakest link of the assembly line and how do you fix it? And his take was the penciler. Uh, And I agree with him. The penciler, because the penciler very often takes the most time to get 
his part of the assembly line done, um, that often becomes the weakest link in the chain. So uh, he was advising that one of the best ways to get in the industry is to be a good inker. My advice as the penciler would be, if you want to get in the industry, learn how to be very fast and do a page a day, at least a at page least. a day. Yep. And, and learn, learn how to uh, take shortcuts. If you've drawn a background on an earlier page in the book and you're coming to a page that's written as the same exact background, just put it on a light box and draw it again from either a slightly different camera uh, crop or something in order to save time. Don't be afraid to use uh, silhouettes of characters and don't feel like you have to draw a detailed background in every panel. Uh, you do an establishing background in the initial panel on the page right. or the, right, the, right, most, right. the most important panel on the page. And then after that, Leave it blank because uh, it's likely there'll be uh, either dialogue, narration, or sound effects to cover up those areas. So um, we'll move from there into um, the auteur approach, which is the wearing all the hats approach. Both Aaron and Haley have, have done this successfully. Haley, did you when you first approached this, did you just step in and go, well, I want to do all of it and I know how? And was it? Was it intimidating when you first started or or were you well versed enough with the graphic technology to feel confident? And how did how did it come about that you wanted to wear all the hats and did so? Um, yeah, I kind of didn't realize that people even did it another way. Like I, cause I, yeah, because I didn't like grow up reading mainstream comics or anything i discovered mm -hmm. comics through like web comics on deviantart and stuff like that um oh, and yeah, i always you, you know i liked writing stories and drawing mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um but i always thought like oh doing a comic like that's way too much work that's way too many drawings <laughs> like i would get so tired um and then i did like a couple short ones but then um it wasn't until my senior year of college that um i had to do like a gallery show as my senior thesis and I thought I want to do a comic for that and so what and the professors were kind of like okay you can't just make a comic book like it has to be something that could be displayed in the gallery so what I did was like little paper cutouts of all the panels and that was all drawn traditionally with pencils and then just inked over with pens and I didn't color any of that and that ended up being chapter one of my ongoing comic that I work on and do everything for so that's yeah that's how I got into it. I just was like, I like drawing. I like telling stories. I like these characters that I came up with. I want to put this story out there. Um, and yeah. And, and I've seen other people doing that where it was like them doing all the work. So yeah. I just, I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I was like, Hey, this is fun. I'll keep doing it. <laughs> how long? No, that's, that's an awesome origin story for how you got started, yeah. but tell us, tell us how, uh, how long did it take you to fall into a production routine where you could calculate, okay, it's going to take me about this long to, you know, finish the page visually about this long to letter the page about this long to get the whole issue done. Like how many projects before you could kind of calculate how long a page would take mm. you? Yeah, I still, I, f I feel like I'm not there yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, Cause I've mostly like that same comic the heroic shenanigans is like, I'm still 
working on it. Um, and it's like, my process has changed a lot. Like I do it all digitally now. Um, uh -huh. And yeah, and it still is kind of, I am trying to get into more of a, okay, I'll try to set aside like one or two hours every day to work on it. Cause it's kind of just been like when I have time and feel like it in between day job and everything else. Um, right. Right. But yeah, so but I do feel like I'm getting like, it's not taking me as long to finish mm -hmm. page as it used to, but mm -hmm. I still wouldn't say like, Oh, okay. The penciling takes me this much time. And then inking, it takes this much time. Like, I don't know. Do you, do you produce, would you say that you can get an issue done uh, or say a page done a week? Mm -hmm. Let's say that. I can. Yeah. Like definitely a page done if I um, really focus on it, but I'll like, I'm, kind of on hiatus right now from posting it online and I have been since like November or something or maybe even before <laughs> no I think right not, but yeah um but when I am updating it like and it and it's different like web comics have even changed because it used to be very much like a page every week and now with stuff like webtoons it's like a much longer episode mm -hmm. every week yeah. um so people want to read which I'm like that too. I'd rather binge read something than read a single page. Me too. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. but I definitely can get a page done in a week, but I kind of would like to have more done and then start posting it again and not be like, okay, you have to wait a week for like a couple of panels. Yeah. Well, do you, do you write um, in the, the traditional approach to doing a comic page is we would write it, you know, break it down in panels and then sort of thumbnail it first small and then do you know maybe a larger rough and then go to finishes do you still generally do that or do you like just wing it and as you go you're sort of writing it in your head as as you're drawing it How, what's your what's your approach yeah i'll have like a general script for a chapter at a time like i don't have the whole story written out yet mm -hmm. um, but i like to at least have a chapter and know okay here's how many pages are in the chapter so i'll write out the script and it's not in like a official script format. It's just like, I know what's like, it's mostly just the dialogue and a few notes. Cause I'm like, I don't need someone else to draw it. I know what it looks like in my head. I don't have to explain like, Oh, this character's doing this on this side of the page, whatever. Um, yeah. And then I'll do thumbnail sketches from there and like plug the dialogue in there and then like do a like more pencil sketch based on the thumbnails so yeah, basically. Yeah. So um, have you been asked, and, and I, I ask this because from our point of view that I work on a traditional board uh, for the, my pencils because I want to resell the pencils a lot. Do you ever think like maybe I should do that or is that not a thing? I mean, do you want to sell originals or do you feel that that call or have you been asked um to sell originals or do you just feel comfortable totally going full digital with it yeah like i didn't think about it in the beginning but now i've thought mm -hmm. about it but the only um pencil and inked pages on paper that i have are like really old so i'm like i yeah. don't know if i want to sell my really old <laughs> right? newer stuff um I know some people in the, the reason I ask you is I know some people in the business who are like either multi talented and skilled and they can basically do the whole comic themselves. And I, I asked them that question about originals and don't you want to have some art to show and sell what they do is they pick 
pages that are splash pages and or covers and they'll do those traditionally first and mm. scan them in and the rest of their pages they'll do digitally so that that may be something you consider for the future is you know your splashier pages or your covers to do in the traditional way so you'll have originals and then digitally just throwing it out there in case you want to have a show because your art your art is fantastic and it it would be cool to have you know an art show or gallery show or something like mm-hmm. that with it too so yeah. that's just that's a thought that's what i do when i get pencils is i'll i'll choose the like you said the splashes or the really dramatic pages and i'll ink those up by hand so i can sell them mm-hmm. and i'll do the rest digitally because i can i can digitally ink about two times faster than i can yeah yeah Oh, I, I completely understand. That's why I'm inking my own now. I, I would not even try to do it traditionally because it would be a mess. Um, but uh, that brings me to the other auteur in the group, the multiple hat wearer himself, Aaron Harumphries. Aaron, you do it all, man. You do it all. So tell us, like, uh, somebody wants to get into making their own comics. What are the pitfalls? What are you know, I think the advantages are kind of obvious, but... Yeah. What are the challenges in, 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 of doing it all yourself? Talk to us a little bit about it. It's uh, time-consuming, I think. You know, it's funny. I was also going to say, I'd almost say, I think I've heard inking's going away, so I'm not sure. I mean, Rob said getting an inker, but I think nowadays most people actually break into the industry being a colorist, a digital colorist more than inking. Now, I could be wrong, but I've heard a lot of people, inking's kind of being blended into the penciling. So they just kind of like the job is sort of combining um Mm -hmm. which i've heard too so i because i've met more colorists that are broken in than inkers but it used to be inkers very much that's Um, why i taught myself coloring yeah because Mm -hmm. it breaks against that does Um, your inker and color ever get into arguments what does does your inker and color ever get into arguments Oh no! About with me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my last comic, you can figure out ways to skip state steps. So my godlings, I didn't ink it, and so it's all pencil work. Uh, I figured out a way to make my pencil dark enough. And uh, I know Roland doesn't cheater, like cheater, <laughs> cheater. Strangely enough, I've actually uh, I've actually fooled some professionals into thinking it was inked. Oh, nice, I Michael. Nice. Michael Oming, he looked at it one time. And I said, "This is pencil." He's like, "That's pencil." And he, yeah. So, so, ha ha, Barb, I, I fooled professional <laughs> thinking a thing. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I don't know why. I, I, I'm sketchy enough on there that I don't know why I trick him. But he just darken it. You keep darkening it through the computer on the photocopier, and then you darken it on levels. You have, the to, computer you have to pencil it differently when you do it that you way. Do yeah, have you do. It differently. Yeah. So I do what's yeah. called a final pencil draft, which would be, I guess, considered the inking draft of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So in a way, you're really not saving uh, that much. Not saving you're... that much. The, yeah. the reason I didn't ink Goldie is because I actually did ink a panel and put it with that old page. The, the, the old I have like an old sort of book page. The inks contrasted too much with the page. They, they didn't stand out, and I wanted the artwork to kind of fade into the page. The pencils faded more with the gray tones into the page, so it just looked better. So I just stuck with that. You My next that old, comic, that, I am going to ink. Yeah, you have that old parchment look going on, mm-hmm. your, on your pages. And the ink was just too much of a contrast, so I, yeah, I decided that's it. My next comic, I am going to ink. 
Uh, so, and I, I would probably hand ink it. I've done, I've done work on Cintiqs or whatever. I can never do the tablet, the Wacom tablet, but I can draw on the Cintiq. Uh, but right. Cintiqs are spendy. I get the iPad eventually, maybe. Um, I, you know, it just comes down to rhythm. I can usually draw a page in two days. Um, but then I've, you know, my new comic might take longer. I'm going to take a little more time with the new one. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, I set up for things to do so. My next comic, I am going to color a specific way, so I'm not going to do my cross-hatching on it. So I do, based on what the outcome is, I do skip steps or combined steps. That might be helpful people starting out. You don't always have to do the traditional steps sometimes to get what you want, especially with digital technology. You can find ways to bend rules and bend things to get what Mm -hmm. you want. Um, I have a friend who, for background, he's making 3D models of buildings and cars and other things. And then he just drops the models where he wants and then just draws over the top. Wow. That way he doesn't have to worry about perspectives. Or he could just decorate it and do as he sees fit. Um, mm-hmm. And they did that, too. That's how they actually – I was – because I looked at the Star Wars comics. and like, does somebody really draw that Millennium Falcon, like, every time? That's, but they're like, no, it's a 3D model. They drop it to the top. Mm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Genius. Yeah. Cheaters, so, cheaters. It is. Cheaters. It, it, he said, I mean, now you look If it doesn't take you a long time, you did it wrong. Yeah, because you can imagine that's the guys right. who the Star Wars comics in the late 70s and 80s. They were like, you, you, punks. you losers. Draw by hand. We had to yeah. draw that by hand. We yeah. had to pr- project in our, Well, actually, what, what we used to do is if we had a particular car in a comic, I remember when I was drawing Nightman, and uh, I, had a, I had one of those die cast models that I got at like. Yeah. I don't know. It was it, of a, of a Viper, a Dodge Viper. Oh yeah, yeah, the old yeah. Viper. Yeah, and that's what he. I decided that was going to be the car he drew. So I would literally just pose the Viper on the desk and draw it. You know, hand eye drawing it. But mm-hmm. in a way, that's kind of what they're doing with three D models. Although they're yeah. tracing, tracer tracing over the top of it. Um, mm-hmm. it. It speeds up workflow. I think digital technology yeah. has allowed us. I think with Haley. There are ways you can combine steps or skip steps. Um, mm-hmm. To, I mean, one of my favorite comics that is uh, partially penciled is uh, Blade of the Immortal. Uh, okay. Which I which is all manga, but he does, and he'll go through the comic and he'll do actually inked panels, and then he'll go to straight pencil, like the pencils you do, Dean, which very mm-hmm. like the. But he goes back and Hatch. forth, hatching oh, cool. Like yeah, yeah blending. Uh, very interesting uh, idea. Uh, his stuff is great. I mean, he's been on since the early '90s. Blade of the Immortals. Yeah, years. I remember um, that. Yeah, I do yeah. remember it. So, it, so penciling comics, like just publishing pencils, has been around, but it's not as popular as today because uh, technology. You can publish pencils if you want. You can publish anything, and of course, there's people who do the painted comics. Uh, yes. Painting. There's a guy who um, really? I can't remember his name. He did. Uh, a comic called Sunstone, and mm-hmm. another he did he almost speed paints his comics, and he does them really well. I think he did a lot of stuff for Rat Queens too. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. And, it's uh, called Su- Sunstone, huh? Yeah, Sunstone. Just don't show any images on here; we'll get banned. Oh, um, I, under- I understand. <laughs> I'm I'm familiar with with that book. I've been told yeah. about it before uh, because it's I think well the done. guy. I think he got some uh, mainstream work, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Stefan Sedgik, I think yeah, is his name. Yeah, I'm saying that name right, yeah. Yeah, he's from Croatia. Yeah, he got some work with uh, Harleen, with DC. Yeah. Um, I think he yeah, did Harley Quinn stuff. 
yeah, the Joker, yeah, Harley Quinn yeah. stuff. But he, he just basically does straight up speed painting his comics. Yeah, um, which yeah. it's I mean, and you know, I was never good at speed painting, digital painting. Like my my brain couldn't wrap my head. But if you're good at that, I mean, I'm sure he's knocking out the page every day, every two days. I mean, those speed painters go fast. Yeah, it's, is it actual paints like acrylic or no digital speed? Digi- digital speed painting. painting. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. So if like you a, actually, I'm good with the wine his... and painting nights. I yeah, because some of them will time themselves like two hours for a painting or an hour for a painting. They go as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of his work, it's almost sloppy in certain ways. But when you pull out, it all kind of comes together. It's yeah. organic. Yeah. 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 So this, yeah. Uh, modern technology has had so many different ways to approach comics. I can tell you the way, like I said, I can talk to you about the way I approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anybody, I mean, I think now with most comics, it, there is more of like, it doesn't have to look like a comic book. It look like so many different types. I mean, you can like pick the art style that would fit your book. As, yeah. If that makes you know sense, because you can do like a flat flash sort of flat look to it and stuff. Or I mean, yeah. I see all sorts of stuff. What I think is fascinating and much more, I wish people would lean into that more, that you could do all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I still see a lot mm-hmm. of people that would do like horror and sci-fi and then still draw traditional superhero when it's like, you don't have to. Image does it a lot. I mean, there was a, a book called the based on the Odyssey that was like this psychedelic book. Mm-hmm. Crazy colors and it was just really crazy looking, and so yeah, that's some cool stuff. So I there's think- a guy, there's a guy does some you, you're discussing now. Uh, his name is Mark Simpson. He goes by the mm-hmm. pen name Jock. You heard of Jock? Before? No, I haven't heard of him. He's a Br- British, uh, actually a Scottish uh, artist, and he's he's done a lot of stuff. It's real loose. It's almost like a Sienkiewicz style, oh, yeah, yeah. but it's, oh. it's real loose and fun. He's doing a book right now. Uh, called One Dark Night, and uh, it's about Gotham with all the lights. They they have a power outage. Oh, that's, and, that's cool. Uh, Batman is transporting a dangerous prisoner from one side of the island to the other. Yeah, look it up and look at some of the pages. It's called One yeah. Dark Night. And uh, Jock does a looser, uh, really a cool style. I can't describe it other than to say it combines the classic comic look with a newer, fresher digital oh, approach yeah. it's see what i mean it's beautifully done he's actually it's, doing a lot of texture work in there which is yes. something that also that i think is really cool in comics if you could figure out a way to combine it he's almost doing a little bit borderline concept work by doing like online textures and stuff which is yes. something i've actually thought about doing in comics um yes which is really cool yeah that i just think there's so many ways to approach comics nowadays oh absolutely that. absolutely um, I, i'm with you though experimenting with I'm new to coloring, so I'm yeah. I'm I love experimenting with different brushes and getting different textures and looks. Yeah, people just do amazing stuff. There's independent stuff you can find, and there's still a lot of people who draw traditionally. But I saw I I would go to the library and get tons of comics, and the library just gets lots of weird stuff that I've never seen in stores. And I got one. I don't really remember this the story so much, but I do remember the art was done almost in an impressionist style, like a painterly impressionist oh, cool. style. Wow. Very cool. Seen that before. Yeah, so you get just really interesting ideas that people will play with or whatever that I wish I would see more of sometimes, but I know with mainstream and corporations, they don't want that as much. Well, you know what, though, Aaron? There, there is no mainstream anymore, honestly. No, I don't think there is. <laughs> There's not. It's yeah. over. Yeah. It's over. No, the big yeah. two are over with. Everyone's doing what they want to do. 
Right. Um, and like, like Barb and I admitted, you know, a couple of shows ago, there was a day that was fairly recent where had Marvel or DC approached me or Barb and said, do you guys yeah. want to work on this title or that title? And we would have said yes. Where right. today I would say, absolutely not. I want to do my own, my own yeah. thing. Um, like, you have actually like more of a chance. Cause, yeah, because if it actually takes off, you reap all the rewards. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean digital why do someone else's yeah. stuff? Why, why yeah. when you can do your own stuff now? I mean, why, why do someone else's stuff? Um, I want to, I want to squeeze Rory in here as well. Even though Rory, you're fairly new to the biz, and uh, having being the co-writer of our Steam Patriots title, um, awesome. I'd love to hear your take on the collaborative process from a so-called beginner's point of view. We'll use that for discussion at this point. Um, what was your, what did you learn from the collaborative process and what would you like to see uh, in future uh, if, as far as the collaborative process of making a comic book? I learned that Scott's always right and I must acquiesce to all of his requests. There you go. <laughs> yeah, partnerships are like a marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, um, it was, it was definitely interesting because we were both organized fellows, especially when we were still wearing a uniform, right? Drilled into you more when we were good about setting time aside. Time, time management is huge, yeah, yeah. number one, and then putting all our ideas out on paper and then sifting through. It it was amazing how much you had to cut away because we always had too much, we wanted to cram more in, but. You had to keep it simple. So reining ourselves in was a big thing. Well, I know I know Scott has admitted several times on the show that he writes longhand. Is that correct? Yeah. He, oh, he yeah. still writes the material longhand. Uh, Stephen King still does that, by the way, too, yeah. at least as far as I can tell. So um, what do you work uh, in, in Word or what app do you like to work? What software you like to use? And also... Um, how detailed do you like to be? Do you guys like to go to the full script or do you guys get to a rough enough stage where you go, oh, this is, this is close enough. They'll know what we mean by this. Uh, I work in, I don't know. I, I like, I like doing it by hand. Sometimes I just get more out of it. It's, I yeah. think it's you get more creative juices out when you do it by hand. Cause I like okay. if I, if I could scratch something out or highlight something and draw my eye to it. I feel like when you're typing it out in a word, it just takes too long. Right. Okay. To, to, to edit it, I mean, when you're typing out in Word, it's great because I really have a hard time, like I'll just like word vomit everything out that I have to go back <laughs> and correct it. All. Right. Right. So, I don't right. Know, it's faster. I don't know. But uh, I, there's an app called Bear that I've been using for years. Okay. And it's just a means of organizing stories, and it just makes it real easy to make the fonts bigger and change things around. Is it okay. B A R like a bear or B A R E like bear? Uh, bear like the animal. B E A R, okay. and it's a red, the red icon with a white bear on it. Okay, but it's just it's, it's so visually smooth to me that I it's like okay. it doesn't take away from it, it's just no distraction. I can just put myself into it. Uh, I like I like being specific with writing out scenes and dialogue and blocking. Uh, I know it's not always possible just for the sake of time or the scene. To move things along, because you could have, if it looked to me, you could, if there's dialogue going on. I would do the camera one, camera two thing, 
either just uh -huh. like the back of somebody's head looking at somebody else and then switching but i'm not sure visually if that would work as as well it wouldn't be expedient in the scene that's for sure right right so. well i know you and i are even uh, in the early stages of concepting the sequel to uh, silver blade and mm -hmm. uh it's been fun just sending a document back and forth where yeah. uh what we do and this is for people who are maybe live in different places and they want to work on something together what we'll do is uh we'll start a word document and i'll put a bunch of bullet points down and i'll email it to rory he'll put a bunch of points down and then email it back and mm -hmm. then what we'll do is date each updated version so that we're constantly we still have all the old material in the document but then we sure. have all the current material dated so we see how it evolved because in some cases we may want to go back to an earlier draft yeah. and, and pull something in yeah, um, the importance of old material that, that's very much the way that ra and i do it too oh I, good I, yeah i i don't I think like Dean used to send me stuff, but I always respond back with just burn it. And I guess he got tired. <laughs> yes. That was just not very helpful. helpful is not it, right? really helpful. I was like, ah, this doesn't work. But uh, what's cool about this is though, you, any way that works for you, if you're collaborating with someone, mm -hmm. but that seems to work very well. If it's just one document and then eventually we're going to get to the point where we're doing, I guess, a final script and we'll break it down from there. Like when you guys, work barb with you and ra jones i guess you get to the point where the plot is finalized to a degree where he can then funnel it into a final script is that how you correct guys what, what happens is um is i'll come up with the idea and i will i will just do a very loose outline and if i have very specific scenes that i really want i will write it out in detail but otherwise, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll just give him a general overview of what it's going to be about. And then he'll take it. And like you said, he'll insert his own notes, send it back to me. And I will either veto or yes, that's great. And I'll add some more stuff. And we go back and forth about two or three times and um, flesh out exactly what's happening. Uh, but the wording is not there. And unless I have a specific scene in my head, I don't the dialogue in um i i tell him what's going to happen it's kind of like the marble way you know now we have yeah. pages of fight scene um <laughs> yeah and then once once this is all plotted out and outlined out and uh, uh he'll take it and he'll script it and he'll he'll give me the camera views because he's got a pretty good idea of what i'm going for in certain scenes uh he'll do the camera views and the and the uh dialogue so, so mostly it's my story. See, yeah, so do you ever um, so ahead, when I do ahead, it myself, man. I never do full scripts. <laughs> I just go straight to thumbnails and then I write but I actually would just thumbnail my stuff on the back of because I I photocopy my pages, shrink them down for my scanner. And so I just thumbnail the next pages on the back of the <laughs> photocopy piece of the paper. So I try to use everything I can. Um yeah. it's, it's recycle and reuse. Yeah, recycle and this is. In fact, that's what I'm doing. I printed out the script for the obsoletes, and I'm actually thumbnailing the pages in the back pieces of paper, so it's all oh, cool. together. Cool. And so that. your your multi personality disorder works well for you then, because each person <laughs> talks to. Yeah, let's see this. There's an assembly line in Aaron's yeah. head. Is what, what, we're, what we're learning. Right. Another cool thing so, about the collaboration that I do with RA is that I'm knowledgeable in some areas, but he's not. 
and he's knowledgeable in some areas that I'm not. So, I mean, my story is about an 11 year old girl. Ari's never had kids. So that comes down heavily on my side of, of uh, the story is, is Make, how, yeah. how the kids are going to react. Also, he, um, which kind of surprised me, he doesn't have a lot of military background work. And I do because I'm a military mom, I'm a military daughter. Um, I was raised around firearms all my life. You know, so I will actually come up with the with just most killed of the a man armament. just to watch him die, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most of the armament and, and take your uh, guns to town, Barb. <laughs> most of the armament and definitely all of the computer technology is me. Uh, yeah, RA is not yeah. a technophobe, but he's not—he's not technically experienced. Yeah, he, right. he's not afraid of—he's not afraid of it. He just doesn't use it. Yeah. What pro- electric program, electric electronic programs do you use? Like the Wacom tablet I brought up—is that like a self-contained mm-hmm. tablet with its own software? No. The, well, here, here's the Wacom. They the make difference those, in a Wacom but... and, and, and a Cintiq or or an iPad Pro. Yeah. Is that in the, in the old days? And I'm not even talking that old of days. I'm talking the late '90s, right? In in the which is old days for some people. But we had to use a Wacom, if you want to say it the way they want you to yeah. say. I always say Wacom. And yeah. what you would do is literally you had to look away from the tablet and watch the cursor point of oh, your so. stylus on a screen. So right. you had almost this blind man's approach where you're doing this right uh-huh. this idea that you could touch the tablet directly is a relatively new idea it's only yeah. in the past few years yeah. that it's become affordable for the average creator to be able to afford a tablet that actually directly takes a touch sensitive right. approach that's, that's, so cintiq yeah uh, a cintiq or or an i or an ipad pro if you're if you're an apple person yeah. um, that thing apple. works great yeah, aren't, aren't iPad Pros about a grand? Uh, yeah, the, I just yeah a little more. One. I've actually got two of them sitting around here. This is a brand new one, iPad Pro. Um, and between the iPad Pro, the pen, uh, the I bought uh, a, a warranty on it and a, a, a case to hold it. Okay, twelve hundred altogether. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I'm thinking since it's right, it about a thousand to two thousand. If yes, you, and it, yeah, mm-hmm. I you know the the, the funny the thing is, ones. yeah, the I, the only reason I'd probably go for Cintiq is just because I've used them and the fact that there is a bigger screen, real real total mm-hmm. space. I don't know. My friend has an old iPad. He's thought he'd throw it my way. Let me try it out. So I might take him up on it, try it out. I don't mind. Yeah, going, you sh- yeah, you should try it out, Aaron. I think you'd like it. The, make sure it's the larger. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. had they they used yeah, to make smaller ones. Make sure small. Yeah, yeah, the at, twelve. At, at, yeah, at twelve is better. Yeah, the twelve point nine. I think it is. Yeah, twelve point okay. nine is like the one that. I've got. Yeah, yeah. I had I had one of those and I didn't use it enough, so I traded it in for a smaller one. But uh, yeah, the, I don't, the, uh, I don't use it much for my art. So well, the reason the reason I'm not holding mine up and showing it to you is because I'm using it to interface <laughs> with you guys right now. Well, so that's, yeah, it's it's, it's a 10 wonderful point, ten point two yeah. one. That yeah, it's it's a wonderful tool. I, it's one of those devices. You know, everybody has their device that they bought that they're just so glad they bought. And I'm telling you, it's it's the best uh, electron uh, digital device I've ever bought. I love this, it. This, this iPad this Pro is fantastic. Months ago. 
and, pro and procreate for me because I am an old yeah. dog and, and trying to learn photo Photoshop was just a no go. I, I I I looked at it and I tried to figure it out. It's like well, it, it doesn't work the same on an iPad anyway. It, and, mm -hmm. I tried using because I know Photoshop inside and out. Yeah, and it yeah. does not work the same way on an iPad. It's not built at for least it so far. It's well, not, it's not the, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it does not work as well. When I made the decision that I wanted to color, I had to make the decision on what well, if I was going to go with Photoshop yeah. on a regular, um, you know, yeah. computer or go buy it an iPad and go with Procreate. Okay. And Procreate is like Photoshop for dummies, which is right up my alley. Because and it will that's a great specifically <laughs> for a touchscreen tablet. It's yeah. built. Yes. yes. It's, it's easy it's a, to understand. I couldn't understand MetaBang or or Clip Studio or which was Manga Studio. They just yeah. which was Manga Studio, right? Right. A lot of people started out with that, and but that's I could the one. understand Procreate. I was I'd never done digital art in my life, but I picked up Procreate like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, the yeah, it's, previous segment brought to you by Procreate. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we, we just did an advertisement. Uh, which, I know, which is cool. Maybe yeah, they'll sponsor us. Yeah. In the future. Bar, I can see they're using Barb. She's like, I learned it, and I have trouble with doorknobs. And she's yeah. like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. Hey, like an infomercial yeah. where it's all extraordinarily yeah. difficult. That's exactly right. <laughs> so. All right. To sum to sum up the uh, the show, and as far as collaborative, um, if you're doing it all yourself, time management is key. Mm -hmm. And also, um, if you want to sell some original art, pick and choose the specific pages, whether it's a cover, a splash page, something that you think would be attractive to collectors and fans, and do that the traditional way uh, for for to have an original. Um, for those who want to collaborate with a half a dozen people, good luck, uh, because yeah. you might get somebody like Aaron. So then, then you know, it's all going to just well, off the rails. That's the reason I never collaborated with people, because <laughs> they were too slow for me. See, <laughs> honestly, he's just too I got superior. A, I, I got excited and wanted to do it, and they would go off yeah, and yeah. watch TV or something. I'm like, well, then I'm just going to go ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> just to do what it is. Um, so this brings us to the wonderful uh, segment that I like to call the pop culture segment of the show. And uh, the subject tonight is we're discussing the animated Lord of the Rings, which came out in the ancient days of 1978, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which came out in the near ancient days of 2001 to 2003. Um, a lot has been written about both of those approaches to the classic Lord of the Rings story um many for many years people said it was unfilmable uh ralph bakshi who was famous at the time in the 70s for being this maverick animator who made uh an x-rated movie called fritz the cat animated uh Which he also made really that x-rated it's so dangerous. right compared right, right compared to stuff today right but he yeah, also made it was hard uh, R, if anything if anything right yeah. right and he made something called a uh, heavy traffic um, he made slice of life sort of urban stories up until then, but his maverick status earned him some notice uh, to the producer, Saul Zaints at the time, who had the rights, and he really wanted to make Lord of the Rings. And this was right after Star Wars came out and right after uh, Battlestar Galactica and 
people were thinking, you know, hey, uh, Lord of the Rings has got a classic fantasy base to it. It's got a huge fan base internationally. Let's do a movie version. Well, as many of the producers do, they limited him on budget. They, he wanted to do three separate animated movies like Peter Jackson did, but they said, no, you've got to make it one. Well, he was like, Ooh. that's just, I can't do, I can't do service to it. So the compromise for, for poor Ralph Bakshi was he had to do one and a half books in one movie and then wrap it up in the sequel. Well, what happened to him, um, and you notice this when you watch the film, and I, I recommend everyone watch it uh, if you're a fan of Tolkien or you're a fan of, of the adaptation process, especially of something literary like Lord of the Rings. I would highly recommend watching Bakshi's version because you'll learn a lot about how he summarized and streamlined a very dense and detailed fantasy story into a very enjoyable first hour of an animated film. After the first hour, Bakshi's version tends to fall apart because he was losing budget, he was crunched on production time, and he had a lot of war scenes with crowds of people. What he ended up having to do was he shot it down in Mexico. He had a bunch of extras on horses wearing gorilla masks and carrying wooden weapons and he literally had to have his animators trace them which was called rotoscoping at the time mm -hmm. yeah right yep. they would they shoot everything live action trace it and the translation of that into film was not great mostly because ralph just didn't have the time uh to get it done and get it done well so yeah, for the time ugly it, it, it's well ugly done. it's hard to watch so really Everything from Fellowship of the Ring that Bakshi was able to accomplish is actually a beautiful, narrated, and acted animated film. When it gets to Gollum and the Two Towers, it really tr starts to fall apart. Again, that is no, that is no knock on Ralph because he, he did, to me, a tremendous job, which brings me to, uh, and I'm just setting the table here, guys. I'll let you guys chime in. Um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy... If you watch Fellowship right after you watch Bakshi's version, uh, Peter Jackson and his screenwriters borrowed a lot of staging yeah. from the That's original the animated of, movie. Uh, the front of uh, Frodo's Hobbit house. Yes. The, the way it's set up and the hill and the thing was very much ripped straight from Alfowski's intro scene. Oh, gosh. The, not the, just the, that. The, the hobbits hiding from the black mm -hmm. riders under yes. the, the tree root yes. and the riders hovering above them. That is lifted. Uh, Bilbo's yeah. birthday party yeah. where he's given his speech and he disappears when he puts on the ring. Lifted. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Gandalf trying to get into the minds of Moria and solve yeah. the riddle of the door as it glows and opens up. That, all this stuff is just about yeah. lifted frame for frame. And... Uh, Honestly, I've seen some interviews with Ralph, and he's understandably annoyed that that uh, Peter didn't even, uh, to my knowledge, has not even publicly mentioned uh, how much he got from Ralph's original staging and animation. And who knows whether that was just an innocent oversight or whether he intentionally yeah. did it. Who knows? I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone. I'm saying uh, Bakshi's ability to summarize and streamline such a dense book in the Fellowship of the Ring is to right. be applauded. And I just wondered yeah. if you guys noticed any of that. Aaron, I'm going to start with you because uh, you're a, you're an anime fan. You're an animated right. movie fan. 
uh, especially Maverick attempts to do something different, which at the time, Bakshi's movie was this out of this world yeah. attempt to do something that was, quote, unfilmable. Yeah, I, I miss those old animators, um, Ralph Bakshi, um, the guy who did uh, Secret of Nim. I can't why I'm thinking blank in his name. Um, that was good. Too. Um, that was really yeah. good. That I was a very good. Guy. I have the DVD right here. Yeah, Don Bluth is that you thinking of? Don Bluth. Don Bluth. There was a lot of independent former animators. Walt now Disney yeah, animators. He yeah. Like yeah. yeah, he was a former who went rogue, and yeah. uh, his stuff. I grew up. I grew up more in his stuff than Disney. Yeah. I preferred his stuff more because of the darker tones and stuff. Sure. Um, sure. But adult, I miss a lot of those. Yeah. yeah you, well, you would get like, I mean, the movie Rock and Rule was just done by this random Canadian studio. And they actually, I mean, you just, yeah, I think David Bowie was in it. Like all these crazy independent 80 movies that you just don't see anymore. But Ralph Bakshi was one of the classic. I was, my favorite movie his is Fire and Ice. And I actually still have that one. Yeah, um, I have that one too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, he tried with Cool World. I think that was kind of his last sort of outing. It was Cool World. I saw that, yeah. And, um, but his Lord of the Rings, I would love for somebody like him to take another crack at it with the budget. Oh, I oh, think yeah. an actual animated Lord of the Rings, personally, I think with his art style and the way he did it, I think I would prefer to see that with the yes. budget than the live action. Yes. I uh, would just, too. Just I because too. there is so much art of. Lord of the Rings and artistic styles that I think you could you could really do some amazing stuff with art, hand animated stuff like that. The live action stuff is great, um, but there was just something. I mean, his art style stuff just just give it. Uh, yeah, Frazetta's Fire and Ice. Yeah, yeah. Wubba um, says his best work was Frazetta's Fire and Ice. I love yeah. that. Uh, and Tommy Tommy's shouted out to us a while back. What a good-looking bunch of misfits. How's everyone yeah. going? We're going great, Tommy. You should have jumped in and given yeah. us your two cents yeah. worth. Tommy's uh, my favorite person today, so just let you know that. I mean, Tommy, you get the favorite person award today. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, keep Peter keep Jackson going, Aaron. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, oh, no, no, no. man. Go, he did an on. amazing job. I mean, I love Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Yes. Great. But there's just... Sometimes this is same with the art style. This is sometimes where they they kind of do the same thing where they've been talking for years to make a live action Akira movie, and I'm like, no, stop. You, the no, certain things you take out of animation, you don't need to remake that. It, they need correct. to learn from Airbender. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, just, <laughs> oh just make God. it animated or don't. Yeah, oh they tried the Dragon oh, Ball Z. Yeah, 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 Dragon Ball Z. They tried. It was terrible. Yeah. It was, no, you can't. The There's certain things you can do that remotely worked, and I actually didn't mind it as much was the Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, I thought they did a lot of stuff decently well with that. But again, they had to dumb it down a little bit for American audiences. Uh, for yeah, they, they, the original they, one they, is much superior, but yeah. they, they tried. And they got the visual work on a lot of stuff. And I think they did better than most. Of course, Battle Angel at Lita was probably the most direct mm-hmm. comparison. Of what it would But there still is something lost in there and I think there's something lost in Lord of the Rings I think Lord of the Rings does better with that old classic art style if you could find a way to take old like almost medieval uh, dark ages type of art style and make a Lord of the Rings movie that would just Ooh, be amazing that would be hey let's really let's do it Aaron let's buy the yeah. rights man we're doing it <laughs> I got some we're, we're change around rights. here I yeah where's yeah. my check I have a here we go I have, a, what a, I have what I hope is a winning lottery ticket down here. I know that we do <laughs> <laughs> there we go so uh, what, that, what, um, 
I was going to say there's one more movie. There's a movie called The Secret of Kells. Has anyone ever seen? Oh, this? I love that. That is okay. great. That there's, there's style. Three movies now. Yeah, if you ever see The Secret of Kells, he they it's about uh about the Book of Kells, which is the ancient. Mm-hmm. And they they animated the movie in like the ancient manuscript of like the old classic manuscripts of like the. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I've seen I've seen, I've seen bits of that. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen that almost it. that kind yeah. of style maybe might even work, but a little yeah. more detailed for Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. Like that's, that yeah, that's from the era that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was getting his inspiration. Yeah, was from yeah, yeah. That, that, cool. yeah that he was trying to create a mythology for <laughs> something that didn't for for uh, druids didn't write anything down. That's no, they didn't write anything <laughs> down. So no. so he was trying to kind of recreate that whole. Uh, mm-hmm. milieu and I, it, it's brilliant stuff and yeah. beautiful stuff. But uh, what, what do you think, like, Rob? Books are hard what, to read. They are. They are hard to read. What what dense, what version? Just dense. just for the sake of, of of our discussion tonight, uh, which one do you which one do you think captures the spirit of what Tolkien was trying to capture, which is a mythology for Western Europe that's equivalent or similar to the Greco-Roman mythology of, of Eastern Europe. Right. Um, what, which, which version do you like personally and why? Well, I, to be honest, I haven't seen all of Bakshi's uh, okay. Lord of the Rings. I've only seen okay. that really murky uh, mm-hmm. rotoscoped stuff near the end because I, I, I don't remember where I saw it, but uh, it yeah. was essentially a, you know, they, they were, they were crabbing on it and yeah. saying how yeah. bad it was. And yeah. uh, so I, th- that's the taste I have in my mouth from that. But what little I've seen of still images from that first first part, I think visually you're absolutely right. I think he captures that whole that artwork captures that feel that he was going for. Right. When you put real human beings in in costumes and try and recreate that, it's not as I don't think it's as effective as yeah. the drawn stuff would be. So I. I think a, a yeah hand drawn animation of Lord of the Rings done similar to Bakshi would be it would be killer. Now I, I would, really enjoyed I really enjoyed the uh, the Lord of the Rings by by uh, the movies, and I think he wisely got to split it up into you know three big movies, but he still had to cut stuff. Yeah. Like where's yeah. Tom, where's Tom Bombadil? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Even yeah. even in the I mean, director's cuts, when they added all the stuff back, they still didn't add that one scene. In. They and didn't I add Bombadil. But the thing is, if you it. read that whole sequence yeah. in the book, it's throwaway. It, yeah. it matters not one bit to the storytelling, the overall story of the of the the books. It's it's a it's a side note. It's it, it's not. It's yeah. great in the book, and I love that whole sequence. I love Tom Bombadil. But uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't move the story forward. Yeah. It eats up time that you need for. A, I mean, the, the movie was still what three hours. The oh, short right. version was. Three and the director's hours. cut is like four and some hours. Yeah, four I've hours seen the director's cut. It's, oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it, to throw Tom Bombadil in there, uh, it, it would throw the whole story, whole seat. It would the beats are wrong for a movie when you do it that way. Yeah, but it's great in a book. Yeah, I agree. Really I agree. I would definitely uh, recommend, Rob, if you get some time, watch the first hour of Bakshi. Yeah. And I think you'll you'll really get if I can that... find a copy of it somewhere or yeah, that might feel... even be able to do yeah. YouTube. Amazon is four bucks. 
I think YouTube oh, probably has it on there for free. I bet if you can find the find find YouTube yeah, I, snippets yeah. here, yeah. Yeah, 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 and just yeah, if nothing else, yeah, the, the early parts, yeah. I mean, the I early parts are it. fantastic. It's beautiful. I think some of the other movies watch, you're talking uh, about, I haven't seen either. But some of the other animated stuff, but uh, it, I don't see that many movies anymore, except on Netflix. But yeah, same here. Stream a lot, Rory. What I about spend you, a lot my friend? Time in the studio, anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Rory. What about you, Rory? What, which one? Oh, Live man. action, animated. Go. Well, like. <laughs> I have to say the live action is just far superior. I think it just okay. flushes out the story more. And it's like I said, it's not Boxy's fault that he didn't have the, the time yeah. to do it. And that, that seventies cartoon style is perfect right. for that medieval fantasy. That is like it's, iconic. Yeah. And you yes. can't go wrong. But I, I grew up, I mean, what was the first Jackson movie come out? Was it 2001? 2001. 2001. Yeah. Oh, 2001. Yeah. I've been a it's, sophomore in high school. It's hard to peak believe of, that peak of nerddom. 20... 21 years oh, old. Oh, yeah, peak of yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. my whole high school career was, was Lord of the Rings, and it was it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's an Epic. amazing film. Yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah, they, he really did a is. fantastic job for what he did. It's just, there's always something lost. And even, this is still my problem even with a lot of CGI animated. I rarely see any animated movies in theaters or stuff that comes to America because there's still like you get that, unc- now they're getting into the Uncanny Valley. It's like, oh, it's a cartoon mm-hmm. character. He's got these weird realistic eyeballs and that looks creepy. And <laughs> So I'm like, what, you know, I just yeah. I know CGI yeah. is a thousand times cheaper to do, but yeah, post, I do miss yeah. old stuff. Yeah. What yeah. did you think? There's, of, did you see the Tintin movie? Yeah. The, wasn't yeah, that, that, that live action that. or was that animated? Was that CGI? No, it was animated. It was animated. animated. That it was, was the one like 3D animated. It's incredible. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was no uh, Polar Express. That movie freaks me out. That is yeah. a freaky yeah. movie. <laughs> that movie freaks me out, too. Nightmare too, territory. That, that is nightmare territory. Yeah. So, Haley, what yeah. about what about you? The... Yeah. the uh, Live action or the uh, animated, or have you seen the animated version, of Lord of the Rings? For me, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen the. I just as we were talking about it, I just googled it to like see what it looked like. No, I've mm-hmm. never seen it. Just the, the live action. Worth it. Yeah. Okay. It's off, it's worth it. It's definitely worth to watch, especially with your more animated style mm-hmm. to see how yeah. they were so perfectly reductive in their designs of each major character to really capture the essence, especially with people like Boromir. Um, He has to stand out so much from Aragorn. And you'll notice that Aragorn doesn't have a beard in the animated version. And they did that primarily to make it more easily, easy to separate Boromir from Aragorn. So decisions like that, had to be made, and, and it really, it works. The the iconography of that film works very well, I yeah. think. So highly recommend that. Uh, Barb, what I about that you? John I know Hurt you... does the voice. Oh, yeah, John Hurt does the oh, voice. Airborne. Awesome. John Hurt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> um, Barb, what did you, I know you've seen them both. Okay. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the Bakshi, especially, like mm-hmm. you said, the first half, and then I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, look at this rotoscope. It's a mess. It's a mess. That completely threw me out of the film. Okay. So, okay. Fair uh, enough. But I, the live action one, uh, gave me shivers. I loved it. I yeah, absolutely good. loved it. Good. Yeah, especially, fantastic. especially the scene where, uh, where Gandalf is coming down, uh, 
off the hill. In the, set, mm-hmm. the second, that's the second one, right? Yeah. Yeah, with all of the armies following behind him to, to come save mm-hmm. the day. That just that just sent chills up my spine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at Helm's Deep. Yeah, even mm-hmm. though in the books, with the light, in the books, the staff, sword. Yes, yeah, yeah staff. Yeah, yes, or sword. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I, Great I made scene. I made the horrible mistake uh, of picking up the Lord of the Rings trilogy for the very first time during finals week at college. Mm. Oh, stupid. stupid yeah, oh. yeah, I didn't yeah. do well. Yeah, because <laughs> I couldn't put them down. Yeah. Well, what well, the the chills moment for me, if we're talking about Jackson's trilogy, was the opening of the two towers. I thought that was the best opening to a sequel that I've ever seen since Godfather Part Two and since Empire Strikes Back. That was two towers. The opening sequence where you get that drone shot over the mountains, yes. and you're hearing. You're Gandalf. hearing uh, Gandalf face off with the Balrog, yeah, and then you go right into a mountainside, and then boom, you're following Gandalf falling with the Balrog as they're battling each other, falling thousands and thousands of feet, which is you know physically impossible, but it works for the shot. And then boom, it ends, and it's Frodo waking up from a nightmare. So it works because Frodo's imagining in his head that battle of what Gandalf must have experienced as he was tangling with the Balrog during their fall. And I thought, man, what a great way to bring us from the end of fellowship right Mm -hmm. into where we are with, uh, with two towers. Yeah. Yeah. Good storytelling. I think my, you know, it's funny. I think I opened in a movie. I think my favorite opening to a movie, because I have to put my, I think it's the original blade movie. Blade. The first one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've never seen a movie, uh, set up a character. I mean, after that, scene it's like you don't need to know anything else about this character he just told you everything you needed to know about it it was just very yeah. well done they use um, they use the template you know I, I have to bring this in and everybody's yeah. gonna laugh but if i didn't bring a bond reference in you know <laughs> yeah. it, it wouldn't be wednesday wham but what they did was they used the james bond template there uh in the early james bond films the pre-title sequence was basically an introduction showing the character doing what he does like right. usually wrap, wrapping up a mission, then they go credits, then we start a new mission. So yeah. they kind of did that with Blade. They kind yeah. of did the same sort of thing, but it works. It, it, it works it, it, very, very well. I there was a um, what was it not? Um, the a you know I was always into uh, I think it was the first or the Terminator opening sequence, especially the second one where it cuts to the yes. future and shows them fighting. I mean, that was always like, you, you know, you, you really kind of need to explain more about you knew what was happening. Um, yes. And those those sequences are always good in both Terminators where, I mean, especially um, the first one, you have these two people just appear out of thin air and you have like no idea, like, what are these people from the dimension? Or they, you have just no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I read that the guy who who played um, uh, Reese, they show him like actually fall in the cement when he comes in. The guy actually did that. He actually got naked and went on a stand and literally fell on the cement. Jeez. Even Cameron, oh. when he did that, was like, ooh, man, that's got to hurt. But he had to get he That's that. wow. Yeah, wow. I don't know how high he was, probably maybe a foot or so, but still, yeah, oh, that's what the impacts. You can kind of see him do. So, yeah, because yeah. it was a behind shot, but it was a stunt wow. man who did that. A little road like, rash there. I'm hurting uh, just thinking of that. Just yeah. thinking about that. Well, you know, Michael Bain reference there, excellent job he did in Aliens, which I yeah. like the opening. 
to that movie too. And so uh, the, the, the fact that we meet, um, you know, uh, Ridley later and the corporation is accusing her of, you know, yeah. destroying their property and <laughs> making up this story about a monster. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it, it got so like heavily realistic in that, that beginning that you're like, Oh man. And then, then it turns into just basically a bug hunt, you know, which is, which is a throwback to Heinlein's uh, movie starship troopers. Yeah. You know, they, they so kind of, they were basically he, doing starship troopers after that. Oh right? yeah. And, and the thing is, is he does such a good job of setting up the Marines as he's cocky. Yeah, you know, that yeah. Gonna, and they just get the ass. I mean, nobody does talk better than <laughs> that's, that. That's true. And they get yeah. their butts handed to them. I mean, yeah, yeah, Hudson, yeah they do, don't know, they? Uh, yeah, game, yeah, over, yeah. game over, man. Game over, man. Game over. They just get yeah. There's something. James Cameron is the Bill one director Paxton. that I think oh, nailed yeah. that military bravado better than the jargon. The jargon. Yeah, he nailed the jargon. Really nailed it. He did. He did. Yeah, I'm sure he. He got a lot of that from the technical advisors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Kubrick, I think, did the ultimate version of the, the military. Yeah. yeah. He did yeah. the ultimate version of the experience of that basic. I think Rory could probably tell us if he if oh, he was man. right on or not. But, man, oh, that drill man. instructor. Oh, man. Is that not? Yeah, I watched yeah. an interview with that yeah. guy because that guy was an actual real drill instructor. Gunny Army? Yeah. On. Yeah, and he was yeah. talking that they were really trying to get. He wanted to. He said, "Are they that harsh?" He's like, "Well, during the time of Vietnam, we were trying to get these guys through as fast as possible, so we had to be almost extra harsh and extra yeah. on tap." Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember watching that movie, and after that, I'm like, "I never wanted to join the military." You think most guys <laughs> watch, I'm watching the training scene? I'm like, "Why ain't joining the military?" Forget that. <laughs> uh, That's so funny. Uh, it was such a well done, such a well done oh, film. Uh, so cool. Contrast. So in con- yes, quotable. In contrast, though, and just just to, to uh, springboard off of that, the more esoteric version of the combat military experience is Apocalypse Now, yeah. where Always it's really one yeah, it's it's bizarre because it's so esoteric mm. and strange and impressionistic, and then mm. you get you know, so you get the Full Metal Jacket like harsh realism, and yeah. then you get. You get this bizarre, almost apocalypse now is Vietnam on acid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's Vietnam on acid. And it's brilliantly done because he's really, he's doing a piece of literature. He's doing um, the the journey of Joseph Campbell's uh, uh, story, right? Going down the river. um, What's it called? The Eternal. Eternal Hero or whatever it's yeah. No, yeah. no. It's, I, read, um, I read Martin Sheen's biography and he talks about making that film. It was like, wow, oh, dude. He it had was a terrible. heart attack. He looks he so much in, like, uh, in the Philippines. Well, in, yeah. in, in, the, yeah. in film, the scene where he's drunk and he cuts himself in that. He oh, yeah. Actually, he actually was drunk and he actually really did cut himself. They just left it in. Just left it in. They did that. I feel well. That whole that scene in Lord of the Rings coming back to that when Aragorn kicks the helmet. In the oh yeah, he actually I broke, broke oh, his yeah. That was a real <laughs> scream. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, what, the, what the, take the, for the team, man. Yeah, the book. The book I'm referring to, Joseph Campbell's Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness. Okay. Oh, okay. Heart yeah. of Darkness. Yeah, yeah that's what it's the same story. Okay. Stuck in Vietnam. Yeah, right. Stuck in Vietnam. So the idea was that this high official had gone native. And literally gone into the woods and just mm-hmm. completely 
made himself into a warlord and a godlike being and lost his mind, uh, which is, you know, it's kind of interesting. It, it, it's very analogous to Mutiny on the Bounty. If you guys have yeah. never seen Mutiny on the Bounty, yeah. that's a really cool movie. And it's very similar to what uh, Avatar is. If you think about yeah. Avatar, it's really just Mutiny yeah. on the Bounty. Yeah, you think about it. It is uh, again. That's mm-hmm. another the bad guy in the Avatar movie was my favorite, the military guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was just <laughs> like the, I mean, like you know when he when they're escaping in the plane and he just kicks the door open and he's coming out there holding his breath, like discharging his sidearm, uh-huh. and like you uh-huh. see uh-huh. like one of the his soldiers come up and give him a mask. He's like, thanks, you know. It just like when he's jumping <laughs> yeah, out of the yeah. plane, he's on fire and he's just casually putting right. the fire out. I mean, he was just. That guy nailed that military attitude in yeah. that show. Yeah, Sam very Elliott much so. You were soldiers. Is oh he's yeah, like drinking yeah. coffee in the plane as they're destroying the tree. He's having a cup of Joe. I mean, that to me is like, yeah, that's total military <laughs> attitude. Yeah. Robert, just... Robert Duvall, no, Robert Duvall Ooh, yeah. in Apocalypse Now on the beach um, yeah. where he wants to surf, and they're saying, "Man, we got in Charlie. What's Charlie going to do?" You know, talking about the Vietnamese yeah. shooting at them, and they're Charlie, don't surf. Right. So, <laughs> and the funny yeah, thing is, this... napalm in the morning. Napalm yeah. in the morning, right? Because Kubrick did Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Who did Apocalypse Night? Who was the director for that? And he's relatively famous. Yes, he is. Was it, was uh, that would be the. No, it would be the same director as Bram Stoker's Dracula. Well, so Ford it would have been Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 He did a tremendous bit there but that's old-fashioned movie making and when i mean that that means go to the set start shooting ah we'll fix it in editing have another drink we'll fix it in editing we'll fix it in editing and they shot i mean if you watch apocalypse now i would encourage you to watch the making of it too like like barbara was referencing earlier making it took him oh my gosh it's like how did they survive the shoot? I mean, you know, it got destroyed oh. by a hurricane halfway yeah. through. It's just like Dracula ended up like that. And, and, uh, and I, I, as I mentioned earlier, Martin Sheed had a heart attack. Yeah, I know, right? So, had a freaking heart attack. <laughs> had a heart attack. I know. It's if crazy. you want to watch a making, if you ever watched the making of Blade Runner, that is fascinating. Yes. There was literally yes, almost mutiny on the set with the because <laughs> it's because every time you watch a making up, it's usually celebrity people kissing each other's butts. He's great, they're great, they're great. But that one I watched, like no, everyone was just like ready to quit. They hated him. Like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, like how oh, did this yeah. ever get made? <laughs> yeah. What was the movie with Val Kilmer? The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, that was yes, same movie. thing. Island yeah. of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 About, yeah. I think in the act, Val Kilmer's documentary, I think he talked a little bit about He that. talks I about how crazy that, that was that to me. Weird oh, gosh. Yeah. It was very odd. But speaking of that, that brings us to the end of the show, folks. Uh, that That's a great way to wrap up our collaborative discussion, though. Collaborative clashes on movies like Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Watch the making of. Watch the making of Apocalypse Now. Those are great making ofs. The really good ways to learn about the collaborative process. And as we like to often wrap up our shows, uh, we like to close with saying our motto, make, make my mind silver line. Hey, I'm Alex Savio, and I just want to let you know, make mine silver line. Thank you for listening to the Silverline Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We know we ramble sometimes, but we have fun. And after all, isn't that what comics are all about?
We hope you'll follow us on all our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Reddit, MeWe, Gab, and whatever new thing pops up between now and the time you listen to us. Please like, follow, share, and remember, make mine Silverline.